Welcome to Conversations with Big Rich. This is an interview-style podcast. Those interviews are all involved in the off-road industry. Being involved, like all of my guests are, is a lifestyle, not just a job. I talk to competitive teams, racers, rock crawlers, business owners, employees, media and private park owners, men and women who have found their way into this exciting and addictive lifestyle. We discuss their personal history, struggles, successes, and reboots. We dive into what drives them to stay active and off-road. We all hope to shed some light on how to find a path into this world we live and love and call off-road. Whether you're crawling the Red Rocks of Moab or hauling your toys to the trail, Maxxis has the tires you can trust for performance and durability. Four wheels or two. Maxxis tires are the choice of champions because they know that whether for work or play, for fun or competition, Maxxis tires deliver. Choose Maxxis. Dread victoriously. Have you seen Four Low Magazine yet? Four Low Magazine is a high-quality, well-written, four-wheel drive-focused magazine for the enthusiast market. If you still love the idea of a printed magazine, something to save and read at any time, Four Low is the magazine for you. Four Low cannot be found in stores, but you can have it delivered to your home or place of business. Visit fourlowmagazine.com to order your subscription today. On today's episode of Conversations with Big Rich, we have Ryan Miller. Ryan is a rock crawler, dirt riot racer, ultra four navigator, a flatty lover, internet fact checker, and the husband to Rebel Rally winner Kaylee Miller, father and rattlesnake bite survivor. So uh, I want to say, Ryan, thank you for coming on board and uh, sharing your history with us. So uh, yeah, thanks. Good to see you. Very good to hear you, I should say. Yeah, thanks, Rich. <laughs> so let's jump right into it. And, uh, you know, where were you born and raised? Uh, I was born in Phoenix. So, uh, hundred miles North of where I'm living now. Um, and pretty much, uh, well, I mean, we moved houses, but, uh, lived in Phoenix all the way up through high school. Um, but, uh, we spent a lot of time up, uh, in Northern Arizona. My parents have a a place up in the mountains up there that's pretty, pretty rural. Excellent. And so growing up, um, going to school, that kind of stuff, did you play any sports or anything or have you been more academic or what was your, uh, what was your early life like? Uh, kind of both. I played little league baseball and I played in some basketball leagues, uh, you know, probably, up until freshman, sophomore year of high school about. And, I, you know, I, I took a lot of school classes, extra classes. I was in the, you know, gifted programs, which is, you know, they moved you up a year or two in certain subjects or all of them. And in high school, I wasn't really involved with anything at the school. Uh, so my counselor said, you, you need to get involved with an extracurricular activity at school. So I actually, I was in, I joined the band. Um, I had played instruments in elementary school, but I joined band in, in high school 
and ended up being in marching band and jazz band. I, I like those both. And then I ended up playing tennis of all things nice. and, uh, never picked up a tennis racket in my life, uh, before freshman year of high school. And the, my counselor that said that he was actually the tennis coach. And he said, why don't you just come out and, and check it out? Well, three weeks before the season started was when they started their practices. And that was the first time I'd ever picked up a tennis racket in my life. And I made the varsity team as a freshman. Um, nice. And I think I actually, when I graduated, I had like the most wins in school history for, for the tennis team, which I was just like, okay, apparently I'm good at tennis, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, it, it's a, it's an eye hand coordination sport. Absolutely. Yeah. So then what you were a gifted student, which doesn't surprise me, have, you know, knowing you as, as well as I think I do, um, what school you, you said in the Phoenix, Phoenix area, were you, uh, Scottsdale or Phoenix itself uh, or Phoenix, Phoenix, Phoenix to Glendale. Okay. The house that I lived in when I was little was in Phoenix. And then, uh, my parents moved a couple miles North to Glendale, um, my high school, I guess you would say Glendale. It's on Glendale Avenue. So, okay. right. <laughs> yeah. And so, the uh, did you take shop classes or anything like that? Funny, funny thing, uh, I was very excited to go to that high school because they had a wood shop and a auto shop. Which, growing up, my dad was a custom carpenter, so uh, we had a giant wood shop in the backyard. Um, and I would go out there and make stuff on all of his equipment and, you know, <laughs> have fun. And so the wood shop kind of wasn't exciting to me as much because I could do that at home. But uh, they actually ended auto shop my freshman year of high school. So I never I never w- was able to do that. Um, that but, sucks. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Of all things. Right. That was uh, that was a long time ago think you know those t- that was 1996 okay so i mean you would think nowadays it's like how many schools have an auto shop like zero but yeah they they ended that uh the the last auto shop class was the year before i started so. that that I sucks of- i think that's something that <laughs> that schools need to bring back yeah i mean at that point i already owned one vehicle and I didn't even have a learner's permit yet. Okay. So, um, and then uh, at the end of my freshman year of high school, I actually owned two vehicles by then. So Nice. And what were they? Uh, I had a 68 Chevy um, CST long bed two-wheel drive truck. And then I had a 71 Suburban four-wheel drive Um that was pretty much my daily driver. Cause I was building the 68. Um, that's what I bought for myself as a birthday present. So <laughs> nice. So then you're, uh, the kind of classes that, that you enjoyed most, or was it just, did everything come easy or was it, uh, did you have to work at, at getting, you know, the solid grades? Um, I was, my wife and I were just talking about this the other day. Um, I, you know, like I said, I was pretty much in all the advanced classes. So I, they, you know, you're already one to two years ahead. Math was like a gimme. Um, I didn't have to 
try at all, really. Uh, the, the teachers would actually tell me, you're required to come to the to the final exam of the year, even though if you got a zero on it, you would still get an A for the class. <laughs> you know, stuff like that. Um, but like uh, science was fine. All you know, everything was okay. English was like just uh, that was my nemesis because you know I'm very strong at math, so English okay. is a little bit tougher. Um, but I I don't read very fast. Like when I read something, I, I absorb it, but I don't, I don't read fast. So when you're in these advanced English classes, they, you know, they're reading like a new book every two weeks and it's not like little books, it's big books. And this is what my wife and I were talking about is, you know, like, Oh, we're going to read crime and punishment. Oh, okay. Well, that's 600 pages long. Well, a book like that, it takes me like four to five minutes to read one page. So I'm like, so in the next two weeks, I have to read for 60 hours. Like, <laughs> how do I, how can I do that? Like, so, you know, in my, in my head being math person, I'm like, I have to read like five hours a night in order to finish this book, you know, like, like ridiculous. Um, so that was, that was, I was, uh, English was actually my only class in all of high school one year one semester i got one b and that was it wow you still got a b that's pretty damn good yeah i mean <laughs> i only got i got through english classes by being the yearbook photographer oh so i go. didn't ha i didn't take any <laughs> that was my english requirement and it was like <laughs> that was easy because i was a photographer i didn't even have to write anything if I if I could have had that option, that would have been easier. <laughs> it probably didn't help me any now, um, but you know it's uh, it was it was an easy way for me to get through those. Yeah. So then, um, you 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 became a pretty good tennis player pretty quick. What was uh, what was what was the driving factor there? Uh. I just don't like to suck at stuff. Okay. <laughs> so, uh, uh, I mean, it was, I, I grew up playing ping pong a lot. So with my dad, so that, you know, it doesn't exactly translate over, but it's pretty close. It's still a, a paddle sport um, or a, you know, racket. Right. Uh, and I just didn't like to lose. So <laughs> I, I just wanted to win. And it is tough because a lot of these, you know, other guys that, you know, people that play tennis usually grow up doing it from being little and, you know, or they're, you know, seniors or juniors at other schools that you're playing against. And I'm a freshman. So it was, right. you know, it's tough, but, um, I don't know. I just didn't like to lose and I had fun doing it. So, you know, it was something to do. Okay. I don't like being bored. <laughs> so then band, what, uh, you said you played jazz and in the marching band, what was the, yeah. what was your instrument? Um, well, I actually, so in elementary school, I had liked jazz. That's what I, that's what I did as, you know, my, I don't know what requirement that would be in elementary school nowadays, but, um, I played in the jazz band. I played tenor saxophone. Um, it was, it was a lot of fun. I like, I like that. I like jazz music. It's, uh, 
it's pretty cool. Um, usually the older stuff, you know, from when jazz first started right? playing all that stuff. And then in a marching band, I played the, what it's called the sousaphone, but it's the tuba. Um, and our marching band in high school actually was very, very, very good. Um, pretty much won every competition we went to. Um, That's a lot of, a lot of times tubas are just kind of like eh, they're the background instrument, whatever. But, uh, we actually had like features of, there was three of us and, uh, a lot of the places we went to for competitions, the judges were very surprised because they're like, huh, no one ever does that. Okay. <laughs> That's cool. Yeah. That's cool. You guys, all three of you must've been pretty good then if they, if you got features. Yeah, I think it would be hard for me to remember, but I know that one of the other people, they didn't, that wasn't their instrument either. Like I didn't play sousaphone. It's just, uh, I played in the jazz band and the, the band director was like, Hey, do you think you could, you could play a sousaphone in marching band? And I was like, I don't know. Well, I'll give it a shot. So, so um, you pick the, so he picks you with the largest instrument out there. Yeah. Yeah. Nowadays these kids have a fiberglass one, so they're super light back then they were still all metal. <laughs> right. <laughs> I can't imagine a, I didn't realize that, that fiberglass. Huh. Interesting. Yeah. Yeah. They still, um, to make them lighter, they, that was like towards my senior year, they started making them in fiberglass, like the, the valves and stuff were still metal just for the sound. Um, but the rest of the instrument was all fiberglass after that. So that way it wasn't so heavy. Okay. Cause they're not, they're not light. No, no, they're <laughs> not. That's, you know, and at least when you're a drummer, you have, you know, the harness and everything else to distribute across the body where, you know, yeah. I don't think that was really the case with the sousaphone. So no, that on one shoulder in right. one, one spot only. And that was it. Yeah. Yeah. It's like, it's like carrying a kid. Yeah. As a man, women are built to carry kids. (laughs) Of course they don't, they don't want to hear that. Um, I'm probably getting in trouble for that one anyway. So (laughs) let's talk about how you, uh, how you got involved in off-road in, in wheeling. So growing up, uh, my dad, always like, you know, going out and camping and we'd, we'd go camping. We'd go out into the forest, uh, ride quads, motorcycles. I think I was five, got a quad for Christmas. That was fun. Nice. <laughs> and my parents, like I said, bought uh, a place up in the white mountains. Um, and we spent a lot of time up there. Usually every, every weekend, that isn't in the middle of winter because it gets pretty cold and lots of snow up there. And then a lot of time during the summer when I wasn't in school and my dad had a 72 Chevy four wheel drive short bed truck. And then for the property up there, he bought a, an old flat fender Willie's Jeep. And that's what I learned to drive on was that was his truck and the, the Jeep. And I think like is, is, old as I could be where I could barely reach the pedals. I was driving things like probably eight years old. 
the Willie's Jeep had no brakes, so that was <laughs> interesting. And they also have, you know, no synchro first and reverse gears, so you had to come to a complete stop in order to shift, which with no brakes, real fun. So was was the no <laughs> brakes just um, of lack of uh, of maintenance or, you know, I mean, um, I know well, the brakes kind of suck in them anyway. Yeah, they, he had bought it and uh, it was missing like actual brake, like it had no brake drums. Uh, I think they even removed two of the backing plates. <laughs> yeah, for it. it's just for up there just gonna putz it around okay um and that's the that's the way it was for 10 years probably um until he found a, a nicer one and he bought that one and then sold sold our old one to the neighbor <laughs> and uh but that's what i just learned to drive on was that you know that old thing and in, in his truck and that was you know up until Wait, you know, that was years before I had a driver's license. Right. And uh, so just cruising around up in the White Mountains, that's the area um, below Payson? Above. Above Payson, okay. Yeah, Okay. to the east. So they're like, where they're at is just below 7,000 feet elevation right there. Okay. And Um, that's the, I know that there's the Apache tribe up there, the White Mountain Apache. mm Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So it's a real beautiful area. Like I said, they're pretty rural. Uh, my dad, he had told the realtor, I want you to have to be lost to find me. So, uh, you got to turn down a, a couple dirt roads to get out to where we are. And there, the, the rim is the, the kind of the geological divide between the lowland desert and the, the high mountains there. And they're, about five miles straight line to the edge of the rim, which is also where the Indian reservation starts. Okay. That's, I mean, you're not way out in the middle of nowhere, but they're not, they're not near anything. You know, you got to drive 20, 30 minutes to get to a gas station. (laughs) So you don't leave when you're on empty. Uh, yeah, you gotta, every time you, you go to town or something, you fill up some gas jugs and bring them back. There you go. (laughs) So did you uh, hunt and fish and all that kind of stuff as a kid? Uh, yeah, we actually um, went fishing a lot up there. Uh, I did a fishing boat, and we actually hunted out of that area a couple times uh, growing up, which was nice because we could just go up and stay at the, the property. And uh, the a big fire came through um, my senior year of high school there. It was the Rodeo Chetuskite Fire, which is actually, second biggest now i think fire in in az history um it was like a half million acres and the first place it it got because it was it was a a fire that was started intentionally it was on the indian reservation and it went up the rim and the first place it hit was the little community out where my parents are and it burned everything on the whole property except for the cabin Wow. Okay. But that included my, my dad's truck and his Jeep and the fishing boat and all of our hunting stuff. Cause that's where we kept it all. And after that, it was like, he, I think that, uh, he was pretty sad about that. My dad. Was. So 
the only thing that he replaced out of all of that was his Jeep. Um, hmm, interesting. Yeah. What was and, in, in all the trees in the area and everything were, were pretty devastated. Has it, has it grown back? Well, it's pretty interesting. Cause so we have five acres and there's like a tree line on the North end of the property and some sparse trees here and there, but for the most part it is kind of open high grassland and you know there's trees around on the neighbor's properties and stuff and the forest is right there but um this the fire itself is kind of very spotty like um you know like our property it burned it didn't burn all the trees because it was a lot of the trees that were by themselves in the middle of all the grass it would just burn the grass and it wasn't enough for the the grass to that's the tree on fire, right? Okay. Uh, but our, our barn and our barnyard were all like, you know, old redwood picket fence with railroad ties and telephone poles. And like, it was a, an old barn setup, right? Um, so all that obviously caught fire real quick um, from the grass. Right. But there's other people, you know, that you go two properties over and it burned every tree on their whole property. And then the guy in between us, nothing. Right. So <laughs> it, just, it was just kind of hit and miss the way that it, you know, just mazed its way through the, through the land. But yeah, 20 years later now it's, I mean, you can tell where that, where it was um, because there's not a lot of large growth trees, but it's, it's very green um, things, you know, are growing back. Good. And okay. So when you, uh, when you graduated from high school, um, oh, first of all, when you were in high school, did you, you were in band, that kind of stuff, tennis. Um, did you attend social activities like the dances and that kind of thing? Oh, yeah. Okay. Yeah, I went pretty much everything. Uh, and then I had a you know, group of friends that we always hung out with. There's it's interesting because uh, like I said, my daily driver was a 71 four wheel drive Chevy suburban. Not a lot of those around even back then. And out of all, you know, just random luck, there's another guy at the high school that I hung out with Ryan as well. And he had the exact same vehicle, but a 72, we had a 72 Chevy suburban. And then another guy, dusty had a 72 blazer. And we were the, literally the only three people at the school that had any kind of truck or four wheel drive. So we hung out, you know, um, it's funny because there was a parking spots that, um, weren't really parking spots. They used to be, and then they like poured these concrete slabs to put like some electrical gear and a telephone pole and guide wires and stuff. And we would actually park there because we could drive over the curb and everyone just knew that's where they park and no one else even attempted to park there. So that was like <laughs> parking spots, right? Nice. <laughs> nice. But yeah, um, I mean, I would usually, I'd get up and, and I band usually was the first thing in the morning. That was your zero hour class. Um, so I'd usually be leaving the house at like six in the morning and I'd usually be gone for a good 12 hours after school's over. I, you know, in the springtime, you'd have tennis. Other times, I'd just be hanging out with friends or shooting some basketball hoops or, you know, whatever. 
Okay. After after high school, did you uh, did you attend college? Yeah, so I moved down to Tucson to go to U of A. Um, I had a scholarship and I got into the engineering school at U of A. And I pretty much i i didn't do i i didn't do any more i didn't do uh, tennis i didn't do any more band stuff, um, just because I, I had fun with it and I didn't want to. I was like, eh, I don't feel like continuing them, you know. And how did you uh, how did you get involved with with off roading? I mean, to where you started, you know doing well, more than just running around on the property. So I still had my, my suburban and that was my, you know, college vehicle. And I met a couple other friends that they had, you know, four wheel drive. So we would go out in the desert and go exploring in random places. And this was, you know, 2000. And at that time, rock crawling itself was, relatively new um so you know still a lot of just two track forest roads whatever but we'd go out and go exploring and have a good time and i think it was 2002 maybe maybe 2003 uh a group of us started an off-road club at u of a the called arizona wildcat off-road and and the the idea of it was is well at least if you go out into the you know, into the desert and you get stuck, you have some buddies to, to come get you unstuck. Right. Right. Uh, or just someone to go with. And that was, it was involved with that for, for quite a while and met a lot of cool people. And, um, actually I met Kaylee way back then. Um, and it just, it was a good time. And that's kind of when I started to get involved into, rock crawling about the end end of college and that um, was because of the four-wheel drive club yeah yeah i you know i like the technical stuff which you know a suburban isn't really the prime vehicle for that no but you had but, to pick a line yeah yeah we i mean uh we'd go run some trails that are that were pretty tough and uh it was always it was always just fun you know Right. I liked, like I tried to go out almost every weekend uh, in college, go somewhere. Because there's a couple real close uh, places that are, you know, right at the edge of town. You could drive a half hour and you're in four-wheel drive and having a good time. So That is a I, nice thing about Arizona. Yeah. Yep. Um, so right after graduating from college is when I got my YJ that eventually became my buggy, which I, before I even bought it, I knew whatever I was buying was going to be turned into a buggy. Um, and that's when I, you know, got real big into the rock crawling. And at what point did you, uh, did it start getting cut up and, (laughs) and, and, and transformed? Well, funny thing, I bought it and I already, I mean, I had axles already, built sitting in the garage ready to go um you know i didn't know what i was going to do yet for suspension and transfer case but i was like i know you know i'm going to put a 
Dana 60s under this thing and chromoly shafts and spools. And, you know, I just want it to be, you know, pretty, pretty robust. So I already had all that stuff and a YJ came up for sale in California and I, I bought it from the guy I drove, drove out there to get it and brought it back. And I was like, you know what, before I cut this thing apart, I want to just take it out and wheel it, you know, once or twice. Well, I took it out once or twice and I had so much fun with it. Totally stock. I mean, as stock as you can get that. I mean, it wasn't stock, stock, stock. The guy had put like a set of 31, 10, 50, 15s on the stock Jeep wheels. (laughs) And and it was open diffs, you know, leaf spring YJ, no lift. And I, I ended up wheeling that thing for a year, totally stock, just to see what it could do. You know, like, because people would be like, oh, you can't run that. Like, well, let's go find out. (laughs) So, um, and this is when I had met some of the Arizona undertakers guys and out in Florence, which is, uh, that was one of the first rock crawling places in Arizona, you know, with all of its trails. And one of the famous trails out there is Axel alley. Well, one day we were sitting there, you know, wondering, you know, what could we go run that I could do? And I said, let's, I want to try Axel alley. And they were like, no way. And I was like, how about this? If I can get to the first fall unassisted, I didn't have a winch on it. Nothing. It was just, I had four spare axle shafts, front and rear drive shafts and a spare tire and tools. I was like, that way I can fix it, whatever, but I don't have a winch. I don't, you know, uh, whatever. And they said, if you can get to the first fall unassisted, we'll, we'll winch you up the fall and we'll run the rest of the trail. And I did. And they're like, Holy crap. That's insane. I can't believe someone. And that was actually the only assistance I needed on the whole trail was winching up that fall all the other obstacles bone stock open open yj on 30 watts look nice <laughs> and then you know later on we'd go run that in our buggies you know five years down the road and i'd think how did i drive this thing into this trail you know like <laughs> now i'm on you know 40s with link suspension driving into the same trail going was i nuts or <laughs> like you didn't know any better yeah right um, but it was just fun to, you know, just see what you could do in a totally stock, you know, no lockers, no anything. And, you know, it was just fun. So then finally one day I was like, okay, that's enough. And it was about a year later. And that's when I tore it all apart, cut it up, you know, basically almost did an entire tube chassis. Um, I just kept the center frame rails as my baseline to build off of and, you know, chopped the tub. Uh, you know, there wasn't much left of it after that. Right. And then you, uh, then you started racing it. Yeah. Then, <laughs> so when you had started dirt riot, um, I saw it and I was like, Oh, that'd be kind of fun. But you know, a, a YJ buggy with a stock Jeep four cylinder, and eh, it's not going to, it's not going to be fast. You know, there's no way. Cause there's, you know, all the guys that I went wheeling with had similar rigs, but they all had V8s, you know, because who didn't have a buggy with a V8? Right. So the the first race that you had that was nearby was in Tucson, and I had come out to just help with, you know, if someone rolled over on course, whatever, okay. Well, then the next one was in Moab, and I was like, 
I think I'm just going to go just to, just to see, right? Cause you know, I liked seeing how fast I could go up trails, um, you know, smoothly and without winching and stuff like that. But Moab, you know, race course, not as hard of obstacles. Okay. And so I showed up with my rig and it was still on leaf springs at the time. And I remember I broke a leaf spring, like the moment I started the race <laughs> and by the end of the race, I, I won by a, a lot. And I was like, huh? Okay. Well, maybe I'll, maybe I'll try it again, even though the next one's in Congress or wherever it was. And I was like, you know, that's more open desert. Obviously guys with bigger motors are going to be way faster. So I came to that one in one and then expand that over the course of the next like year and a half. And I had won like 10 dirt riots in a row in trail class, which was, you know, anyone with whatever, just your normal buggy back then, which was forties V eight coilovers or links with coils or, you know, whatever people built at the time. Right. And, And I was like, I don't know how I'm winning, but I am. Uh, so then, it was after the first year when I had won, I don't know, four of them or something and won the championship that I had got with Brian Turner, who at the time was at ADS and, uh, talked to him about a, a partnership and, and, uh, Artie and Nate at Artec. And we, we ended up changing my rig over to, to links and coilovers. Um, and I swapped the rear axle out to a 14 bolt cause I had broke the 60 trail wheeling, uh, you know, in the off season doing fun stuff. And f- from then on, it was like, uh, you know, if I didn't win, I was, I was pretty disappointed. Which you didn't, you weren't disappointed very often. No, not very often, but it did happen. I mean, uh, you know, I raced, there's a lot of guys that are racing, uh, legends class 4,800 ultra four right now that I raced against. Um, and a lot of guys that did race and have now retired from it. And it, it was a, it was a good time with all those guys. Cause I mean, that was when the, the legends class actually kind of started and guys started building, you know, purpose built legends cars and they'd have six, 700 horsepower. And I'm here with 125 horsepower stock Jeep four cylinder. Right. Um, and and sometimes they would they would get pretty pissed when they'd win, but it was more of a it all depended on the more open courses. Obviously, I'd, I'd have my hands full trying to trying to beat them, but on the technical courses where motors didn't matter, like Moab or in the trees in Oklahoma, uh, that's where I knew I could hold my own because you know all that horsepower didn't matter at that point. Right, and I I think having the four cylinder though. You know, you could run that thing like at redline, you know, and you couldn't break anything. True. I had, I had some cheater stuff too, though, too, because I had a, an Atlas four speed. Um, so I had two, two to one gears in the main case with, uh, and they were race gears. So I would run it in two to one all the time because I had overdrive and four tens in the axle. So running it in two to one, it was like one to one with eight twenties and it, it gave me more gearing, which helped. Right. 
I can remember Oklahoma and one of the teams just couldn't believe, you know, they were driving a 4,800, a 4,800 car and they couldn't believe that you just checked out on them. They, uh, they, they thought they were doing really good because they caught up with you. Um, and I remember you saying, oh yeah, I let them, I let them start to catch up because I wanted to see what they had. Cause you know, the, my courses switched back, you know, so you could, you know, you could see the guys, you know, a hundred, 200 yards behind you because they'd be on the trail with a row of trees in between and, uh, yeah. you know, or some rocks or something like that. So you, you let them get around you and then they made a mistake and then you checked out on them and they were only delayed, you know, a couple of seconds and they were like, Ryan must've cheated. And I'm like, no, there's no way. Cause he, except for that one lap where they caught, where they caught you, which, you know, basically, you know, you, you kind of let them catch you or it appeared well, that way. Clearly, but, uh, I know who it was. It was actually, uh, the Maddens. Yep. Uh, the white Jimmy's car, um, the very cool guys after talking to them after that race and, you know, racing with them the rest of the couple of seasons and, you know, seeing them at King of the Hammers, good, good friends. Um, but they, I was new at that one because, uh, I'm going to step back a second. Cause yeah. so I had no intention ever of racing central dirt ride because there's was a lot of driving. Um, because all the races were Oklahoma, you know, central Texas, somewhere around there. And that's a thousand miles one way for me. And I was already racing Southwest and mountain dirt rides. Right. So picking up three more races, that's 10 races in a year. That's a lot. Um, especially, you know, I'm just a, a, an everyday guy, you know, I don't, I don't have huge sponsorships. I don't, I don't do it as my job. And that year was the year that Haley, uh, wanted to race with me. So the week before, uh, the first central race of the year, which was in Austin, Texas, uh, was the dirt ride in Congress. And that's when that was the first time ever being in the race car with me. And I rolled it while I was in the lead. And I mean, I, I was, I had put it on cruise control at that point. Like I got, I got it, just take it easy. And I just hit a rut in a wash just wrong and biked it up. And I thought I had it saved, but I was trying to avoid hitting some stuff while saving it. There was some Choya and a couple of big rocks and I ended up laying it over on the passenger side and, uh, ended up jumping out. She stayed in the, in the car and I, winched it back over real quick and checked my oil. Um, cause I lost some out of the breather and it was fine, but I jumped back in, strapped back in and took off and ended up racing all the way back into second, uh, right between Robbie Flandreau and, and Cade Rod. And they were both just like, how did he come all the way back from that many minutes down? You know, and the whole drive home, I was just pissed because I knew I had that race one. Well, Kaylee had gone to grad school in Austin and she's like, well, why don't we just go to Austin next weekend and you can go get a win there. And I was like, Oh, that's a lot of driving. I got to reprep the car. Uh, I mean, I, I guess. So we went to Austin and I had won that race by like seven seconds. It was a mud race. Oh, all yes. those 
I, like, who's the Southwest guy? He doesn't even know what mud and trees are. And I ended up winning it. So they were like, oh, well, crap. So that started the whole, well, now I'm, now I've won the first race of that well, we got to go to the second one. So that's when we went to Oklahoma. Well, in Oklahoma there, obviously I wanted to win again. And it was lots of rain, mud, rocks, trees. And I had started second to last and the Maddens had started right behind me. And on the first lap, I hit the water crossing too hard and I got my distributor like absolutely soaked and I was running on three cylinders then. So if this four cylinders wasn't bad enough. I was on three and they were slowly catching me, slowly catching me. And I was just trying to keep moving, you know, and I knew I was wounded. So when they caught me, I just kind of, you know, I did the right thing, you know, move out of their way, let them go. You know, my stuff's not like if you, like you always said, if you were, if you're caught from behind, you're already beat. So, right. Uh, so I moved over, they went. And as soon as I moved over, I got the fourth cylinder back. I was like, dang it. So, uh, I mean, instantly I was right on their butt and I followed them for a lap and a half because they were moving pretty good. And we were, we were both passing cars here and there. And like you said, the second they made a mistake, I went for it and passed them. And once I passed them, I saw them for like two turns and then never saw them again. And that's when after the race, they were like, there is no way that four cylinder is that fast. <laughs> and it, was, it wasn't a matter of the, the motor. It was, I had, you know, I had done extensive work with the guy ADS to make sure that that thing could, could take some stuff suspension wise, because I needed to be able to keep momentum up was the biggest thing. Cause I didn't have a lot of acceleration. And I remember that was also the race. You gave me two white flags because I went too fast because uh, the format for the dirt riots were as soon as, you know, you did the math and said, okay, well, when he finishes his next lap, it's going to be after the one or one and a half hour time for the race. So we're going to give the white flag now. And the next time he comes around, it'll be, you know, an hour and 31 minutes and we'll give him the checkered flag. Well, I had lost uh, my radio too, because it had got soaked from all the water crossings. So I had no idea how far ahead I was in first. I knew I was in first, but I didn't know how much time I had. And like you said, you can see behind you, but not super far. So I knew I had to beat Rodney by 30 seconds. Well, I, I didn't know where he was. So I was just driving that thing to the limit because I wanted to win. And you gave me a white flag and I, I railed that thing for all it was worth thinking this is the last lap. This is it. And then I came around to the finish and you gave me another white flag and I threw my arms up like, what the hell? Cause just, you were so dang fast on that last one. Yeah, you beat, have, you beat your hour by like 10 seconds. Yeah. I, I remember that. Cause my lap time that was like 45 seconds faster than any other lap I ran the rest of the day. Yep. And I was like, dang it. So then I had to do it. So then I railed it for another lap because I was like, I don't know where he's at. You know, <laughs> but it was funny because then I remember Josh even telling me like, they were wondering, like, there's no way he had to have cut course somewhere or whatever, you know, which I mean, I get it is, you know, uh, but once, once they were like, no, 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 he, you know, he, 
hit this spot on the course and that spot on the course. And so-and-so has a picture of them there and here. And I saw them come through there and, and they were like, damn, okay. Because, yeah, uh, you know, that's one of the things that we could tell it, it dirt riot. You, you would, guys would get faster as the race come on, but it would only be a, th- a few seconds every lap. Yeah. You know, and anytime somebody beat their lap by, their the preceding lap by or all their averages by more than 20 25 30 seconds it's kind of it raises a red flag and yeah. you know when if you clipped off two or three minutes you know it was i'm i'm calling you a cheater you know i mean and there's some guys that i did that with you know they may have won but i'd tell them later i said i know you cheated because there's no way you picked off two or three minutes well you picked off quite a bit of time but wasn't a huge there wasn't amount. a place out there that you could you could <laughs> clip off that much time. Yeah. I I remember the one spot that you could is where I think where Josh was taking pictures and yep. he like Nope. Well, he goes why I was there taking pictures because that was the only place that you could have tried to cut across. <laughs> right. And that's where the he knew some of those UTV drivers were doing were going to do that. Because in, after the pre-run, he went out to check the course, the markings and stuff, and saw everybody, you know, all the UTVs had taken that shortcut. So he he goes, well, I'm going to stand there. That way they can't. And yeah. that really, the, the first UTV comes around the corner, and I'm not going to mention names, but all of a sudden they check up and like, oh, dang, you know, because they, they almost blew the whole course by, yeah. uh, by doing that. Now, going out there... All those guys in the in the Central Series were re- real good guys, and it was that was actually a lot of fun racing against them because there's they had I mean not as many, but they had quite a quite a handful of cars, but pretty much all of them were guys that that raced the Ultra Four Series too. Not just they weren't just trail rigs; they were a lot of a lot of Legends cars out there. Correct. Yep. And that but, was uh, that was the whole idea behind dirt ride anyway was to give those guys a place to race and hone their skills so they when when they went to koh or ultra four that you know they they knew how to finish a race yeah you know you know but against uh the southwest and mountain a lot of it there was a lot of trail rigs a lot of trail rigs um you know especially in the mountain series with all the all the jimmy's cars and stuff and the guys up there in the four corners area uh I remember the the one race there was like 22 of us in the trail class of unlimited and it was like whoa okay <laughs> yeah that was uh that's probably there in Cortez yeah yeah that's where it was yeah that was that was a good race track too i loved yeah. the spectators there was that handful of of uh local um natives that would come out and 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 cheer out in the middle of nowhere and yep. the photographs from that corner was just hilarious. Oh yeah. So let's talk about how you became, became Ryan Miller slash Campbell. Well, that was racing dirt ride. <laughs> no, okay. No, Cause I refused to lose. No, but <laughs> but uh, your, your association with the Campbells. Yeah. Um, so I think it was t- 2010, um, uh, 2009 was like the first like big year out at KOH. 
and Shannon had won it in 2008. And some of the Undertaker's guys, you know, knew who Shannon were. Uh, they helped him, you know, go out and test his new car, which back then was, you know, bypass air shocks and super tiny little, you know, single seat rock crawler, moon buggy looking thing. Um, and then he built his IFS car in 2009. And I knew some of the guys that were helping him then. And then in 10, they were like, Hey, you know, do you think you could come help us pit for hammers? Okay. So I went out, you know, still went out to KOH with my buggy and was mainly just hanging out and trail wheeling with all the guys. And then we, you know, go over and see if they needed anything and pretty much just there for race day to help pit. Well, after that in 2010, Shannon had built his little, uh, Volkswagen hood, two seat. Um, I think it was a pro mod car at the time. Right. Um, and he's like, Oh, I want to take the kids out, take them trail wheeling. You know, they need to learn how to drive rocks and see lines and blah, blah, blah. So right after KOH in 2010, then, uh, He's like, yeah, put put together a trail run, and I'll and I'll you know this is to the guys that I knew, um, and so they put together a run, and and I was out there, and it just so happened they were like, uh, uh, we're gonna follow Ryan today, okay, so I was leading, and I put them right behind me, so it was it was Bailey driving and passenger, and Shannon was he was riding with me, he was riding with you know some other guys, Rob and whoever else was there and it was he was just jumping in with whoever but uh you know he told him he's like hey just pay attention watch what he does you know learn why did he take that line yada yada okay so we wheeled and we went out to one of our our little locations and it you know it's it's big boy stuff it's not these aren't trails that anyone can go run just because you got a buggy right and Bailey was barely old enough to reach the pedals. Uh, what was this? 2010. So she was 13, maybe. <laughs> and, you know, it was a, it was a built for, I think Nick, cause that was what Nick and Rob McKinney raced in the hammers, um, that year. And drove everything except for, it was on the last day we were there, last obstacle, last trail. And she struggled a little bit and Shannon said, okay, well that's enough, you know, jump out of the driver's seat, let Waylon jump in. And Waylon, I was trying to tell her like, this is, it was one of those obstacles where it's all of, it's all in the feel and you had to bump it. It was a bump waterfall. And once you bumped it, you're almost rolling. And at right at the right time, you needed to turn and within like a, a six inch area going up it. And she was right there, but just couldn't get it. And Waylon did it in one shot. And that, that kind of got her uh, a little angry. Uh, <laughs> Bro got it, you know, on the first shot, whatever. And, and so, you know, we had a, we had a good time and, and, uh, you know, they learned a lot obviously. And, you know, that's what, that's what he wanted them to do was, you know, learn how to pick a line and, and see the line and, you know, throttle control and, you know, cause I mean, it's easy to go out and break something, but you know, just be easy on the equipment and, and get through it. And shortly after that weekend, one of the guys that had set up that run that knew Shannon, he called me and he said, Hey, 
uh, is it all right if I give Shannon your phone number if he wants to talk to you? And I was like, yeah, no problem. And Shannon called and said, hey, um, we need a spotter for We Rock for the year. Um, would would you spot for my brother, you know, Nick? And uh, I said, yeah, sure. And he's like, yeah, you just come with us. We'll take care of you. And, and hopefully it works good. Oh, okay. Well, the first one was in Tucson, so that was easy. And uh, I came out and I spotted for Nick, and we ended up winning all but one event that year and winning the championship. And at the end of the year, Shannon was like, hey, you know, hey, you want to come help us for Hammers next year? And and I was like, yeah, sure. So I helped him with Hammers a lot with logistic stuff for race day. Um, you know, like where to pit, where to put certain parts and stuff like that. And, you know, how much fuel we're going to take, uh, you know, here and there. And, uh, and after that, he's, Hey, you want to come desert race with us? This was at the start of 2011, you know, it's four wheel drive class one car. So we went and raced, you know, Vegas to Reno and stuff. And so that was 2011. Um, and then shortly after that is when he built the top truck challenge car to go to the 20th anniversary um that was in 2012 and then he said uh hey i want to get Waylon qualified for king of the hammers you want to co-drive with him yeah sure so that's when i started co-driving for Waylon, and then we built him that ifs car and you know it's kind of all history from there it's like built him that ifs car co-drove with him for a while until bailey started racing and then co-drove with her and then Waylon ended up in the single seat car and now here we are, right? Yep. I, it was, you know, I, I told you the other day, um, that I was going to be interviewing Bailey the same day as you, but before you. And it was funny because when I text, I said, yeah, I'm interviewing Bailey. And you go, my Bailey? You yeah. Know, and, and I could just see the, uh, you know, I could, I could hear you saying that in your voice. And, you know, I, I get, I get taking, I don't say ownership, that's not the right word, but you take that, like, responsibility for somebody, you know, yeah, yeah. and and you have done that, and, uh, you know, we we talked with her about that KOH run where you guys were in first place, and the water pump broke. Mm-hmm. Let let's talk and get your feelings on all of that, you know, that, especially that, that race. <laughs> uh, you know, obviously, anytime I'm in the car with her, I want her to win, um, and I want her to do good because I know she can, right? Um, and she wants to do good, and uh, there was, you know, there was a lot leading up to that. The previous year, uh, she had put her car on the podium twice. Um, she had, she hasn't won an ultra four race, but she's, she's been dang close. Um, she's qualified first a couple times, you know, and she won a couple dirt riots and she's done the wee rock stuff, but not ultra four. But I was like, I, I know the one thing she's like, I want to win King of the hammers. Right. And I want to win King of the hammers with her, you know? Uh, so, uh, that race, we always, we're not really worried about anyone else. We just want to run our pace, you know, what we think is a winning pace. And we knew we were doing good. Uh, you know, we had, 
we'd caught a bunch of cars on the first lap in the desert and passed them. Her car works phenomenal out in the desert. And that's, uh, I mean, she feels comfortable out there, but she also, she also feels comfortable in the rocks. And once we got to lap two, it was just kind of like, all right, we got to just get through this lap. And we got through the lap and we did, I'm in my head, you know, I, I'm pretty, I don't know what to say. Like, I keep track of where we are. It's that math thing. Like, yeah, it's the math thing. So I'm like, we've passed a ton of people. Like we're definitely in the top five. Right. And coming in out of the last rock trail, I mean, I I can't say last rock trail because you still had to go down resolution and back door, but there was, you know, sheer pulled over on the side, uh, leaving the last rock trail there. He was him and burger were, you know, arms up, fist pumping us, cheering us on as we went by. And I was like, huh? I mean, they obviously just got out of their car and they're cheering us on like, go, go, go. And just before that we had passed Wayne and Cameron who were out changing a tire, which we were battling with them in the rocks, pretty much all of lap two going back and forth. And we knew we had a good pace going. Um, you know, we, we had already passed, like I said, a whole bunch of cars and there was only a handful of them left in front of us. And then as soon as we topped resolution, JP was pulled over right there. And I was like, gosh, we got to be in like the top three now. And when we pulled into main pit, at the end of lap two, our first pit stop because her car has a huge fuel tank. We can almost run the whole race, but we just stop at the end of lap two, take some fuel just to make sure we don't run out. And I had asked, you know, are there fuel in the car? And then, you know, people come, Hey, you need a water, you need a rag or anything. And I kind of mouthed to the guy on my side of the car, like, are we in first? And I actually like said it. And it caught Bailey's attention because she heard it on the intercom, I think. And, and he said, yeah, you guys are in first. And that's when it like set in like, holy crap, we are in first. Like I knew we were doing good. Um, and she kind of started to get a tear in her eye. And we pulled out to go through the start finish line and start our last lap. And I remember seeing Emily Miller uh, come out of the, the uh the media tent right there and came out to the start finish line as we were pulling out of the pit and and cheered her on um and we're like okay well one more lap here we go and we took off on that last lap and they had radioed to us like hey just so you know second place car through is cameron and he's this many minutes behind you physically and I already knew in my head, okay, well, we started behind him by this far, so we have this many minutes on corrected time ahead of him. You're fine. Just stay in front of him physically. And by the time we get to the rocks, and I know, and I know you got it, you know. And we entered that desert section, and I don't know what <laughs> what flipped, but uh, Bailey was running probably 15 miles an hour faster. Then we did the first two laps and we were, we were flying pretty good and it just felt comfortable. We were just on cruise control, but going much faster, you know, and we got to the, we got to the end of the lake bed going across Emerson over by the Marine baseline. I'm like, and I just said to her, all right, 
you know, just one more rock loop. You already ran it perfect on the second lap, just one more lap. And as soon as we hit the little trail going up off the lake bed, she goes, oh, crap, I lost a belt. And I was like, ah, no biggie. So she pulled over. And one thing is we don't like to run our cars too hard across the lake bed. It's pretty, you know, when you zing them pretty hard, you know, it takes its toll on some stuff. But, you know, we we actually went the same speed across the lake bed as we did across the desert. We were like 100, 105. That, that was pretty much it. I got out thinking, oh, I'm just going to grab this belt and stick a belt on. And when I went to put the belt on the car, the whole water pump pulley moved. And I went, oh, crap, because that's when I saw the whole pulley was broken. And that was like at that moment, I was like, how do I tell Bailey that her race is over? You know, (laughs) like like this is going to crush her. And. I walked back up to the side of the car and I said, Bailey, we're done. And, and she started to get a, a good tear in her eye and she's like, no. And I was like, the water pump pulleys broke. And it was just like, no, you know? Um, I mean, we weren't done, done. Like I said, we're not done. We're going to get a water pump. We're going to get this fixed and we're going to get to the finish line, but sorry, you're not going to win this one, you know? <laughs> right. That that was tough. That was tough because, I mean, it's it, like anyone says, like, oh yeah, I was leading until this. It's never guaranteed. I just knew that she wasn't going to do anything, you know, to hurt the car, and she wasn't going to get us screwed up on the last lap. It's just, it's just one of those things that that's out of your control, and it just happened, you know. Yeah. And it wrong time for her, you know. So we, you know, we hung out there for, for a while. And had some laughs and waited for a water pump to show up because, I mean, she had a pretty good lead. Um, Where we were was on, like I said, that little rocky, narrow two-track going up the side of the mountain, which is, it's a pretty sketch spot to be in. Um, There's not really anywhere to pull off to the side. So I had backed up the car because, you know, we had no belt, so we had no steering, which is really hard with a rack because yes. I have the racks. Um, the only car that got by us while we were still up on the mountain after all that was Cameron and Wayne. And I had rolled the car back, back down off of the side of the hill there onto the, onto the flat at the edge of the lake bed so that we weren't in a sketchy spot there. And we waited for Shannon to come with a, with a water pump because that's such a far ways from main pit. Um, that, we had to wait for him to get to main pit and then drive all the way out to where we were. It was like an hour and 45 minutes or something. We were sitting out there. We were just, uh, some of the Marines were watching the race and we went over and talked to them and, you know, just checked over the car a couple times, just waiting and waiting and waiting. And then it came and we threw the water pump on it and, and poured some water in it and, and took off and, she picked up right where she was before the, the water pump issue. And she drove a completely flawless third lap through the rocks and we got to the finish, but you know, it wasn't the finish that she's looking for. Right. Yeah. She, she mentioned that that was a heartbreaker for. Oh yeah. That, uh, that was a heartbreaker, but I think that also, um, like, I mean, you can tell yourself, 
I can win this race. I can win this race. But I think that really like showed her she could win that race, you know? Right. And the following year, you know, she was pregnant with their, with their kid and I drove her car. And I know that, that she, she wanted to be in that car and win that race, you know? Um, that was when she asked me to drive the car for her, of course I'll drive the car for her. But I was, I was more like disappointed that her and I weren't going to be able to go win the race, you know? Right. So let's talk, let's talk about, um, you and Kaylee and, um, how I, I, I love when, when Kaylee's competing at the rebel, and I get texts from you, you know, about what's happening scoring wise. Cause most of the time I'm not watching the scoring or, yeah. you know, I'm watching the tracking, you know, like people at home are because I'm sitting there waiting to go, you know, herd in or, or make sure everybody gets back to camp, but I got to wait till everybody gets past me before I can go start doing that. And I always, uh, I always enjoy your text to me, you know, like, uh, Hey, somebody has gone uh, rogue, you know, I won't mention names or, or numbers, <laughs> but you know, it was, it's always funny getting those. Um, what is it like sitting at home and watching your wife on the internet compete? Uh, it, it I think it takes years off of your life. <laughs> <laughs> no, her and her group of uh girlfriends uh they go out and you know practice and help each other and that just happened this year she didn't go this year um she was planning on it and then decided not to but it it's very nerve-wracking because you don't know what they're doing you don't know what they're thinking you're just waiting on them to get to the next checkpoint and you're like looking on the tracker of how they get there and when they take a wrong and you're like, no, don't go that way. Go the other way. <laughs> or um, the green and the blue checkpoints or, you know, there's flags out there, but the black ones aren't marked. So when they get really close to it, but they stop not close enough, you're like, no, go further. <laughs> it's, it's, and you do that 200 times because that's how many checkpoints they have over the course of a week. <laughs> and it's just, uh, it's fun to watch, but, uh, you know, you're just, you just want them to do so well, uh, that every, every time the tractor's moving, you're like, go in the right direction (laughs) (laughs) on. Yeah. That's, uh, it more so the, the tracker, I watch the scoring myself. That way I know, you know, like when specific areas are done and we can start pulling flags when the, when the girls have all gone past that and they're. You know, they've got that next green, so all the blues and greens before that can be pulled, that kind of thing. And it's, uh, I I don't watch the scoring so much to see who's in the lead, but just to to try to help play quarterback out there with the the course team, you know, which we have a really great course team. Everybody gets it. And, uh, you know, we've had basically the same team, oh, from the very for, for seven years now, you know? And so it's, uh, it makes it really easy, but that, uh, watching that scoring really helps 
in doing that. And uh, I can imagine that it must be it must be nerve wracking for the husbands at home watching it. Oh yeah. You wear out the refresh button. (laughs) (laughs) Refresh, 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 but you got to have two screens going because you got to have tracking on one that you're refreshing on. And then you got to have the scoring page on the other. When they get closer, you're you're just hitting refresh to see if they've scored it yet, especially on the, I mean the, the greens and the blues, it's like, it's a set score. So once they get to it, you're like kind of, it's not a gimme per se because there's trick ones out there, but you're just waiting on the score to populate at that time. But the blacks, you're like hitting refresh to see like, I hope they didn't click it already because they need to get closer, you know, and uh, you know, just waiting to see if that score pops up and how good it is. Right. And those, those, the blues where they do the double blues within sight of each other, um, yeah. just outside of the scoring rings. Yeah, that's the the good teams, teams that are really experienced understand, you know, they don't just go, oh, there's our blue and assume it's the first one. You know, they yeah. know where they're going and they'll drive right to the one that they want. But it's it's kind of uh, it's kind of interesting watching the girls that, you know, they get to those blues and they're like, OK, now which one is ours? Because it's almost like they forgot where they were where they were supposed to go. And uh you know, they don't have the electronics that we have at home or watching on, you know, no. while we're out there. No. So it's pretty difficult. You know, it's not, everybody thinks it's, it's easy and it is, it is by no way easy at all. No, I, I, uh, I, I always say I would love to do that, uh, rally because it seems super fun to me. Um, but it's for women only. So, but I like going out and, um, one of the other ladies that does it, Laura Wanless, uh, her husband, Britton, and I, we like to go out and we set practice courses for them. And some of the girls will fly in or drive over from California or whatever, and they get a group of them together and have a little weekend. And we'll set up a, a course for them and, and send them out on their way as if it was a real rally day. And equipped with blues near each other and I'll even stick random, random flags that aren't anybody's checkpoints out there. Right. (laughs) (laughs) Just for fun. And they, they're like, we saw that and we're like, oh, we're here. And then we're like, wait a minute. We're not here. (laughs) And are you sure? Well, maybe we should drive a little further up around this corner and see. And then they come around the corner and they see there's another, they're like, no, that's the one. Okay. (laughs) Uh, Every now and then I can get them. Most of them are kind of veterans, and and it's very hard to trick them. Right. And now Emily is throwing out different uh, – they, each year they add something different just to to not break the monotony, but to throw something into the works that maybe the girls haven't had a chance to practice. Yeah. Um, it's funny because this year she did – uh, checkpoints that you can do in any order like on certain groups. days on certain days right only certain two and actually uh kaylee and tara lynn practiced that before nice because uh, i actually uh the one year that they were in johnson valley when it was flooded and they were going to have night checkpoints and right. they didn't do it, they had practiced that too night checkpoints. <laughs> they, you know, 
it's, you know, like, what if she does this or what if she does that? It's like just, you know, trying to give them what ifs so they could think through different scenarios. Not that that would be what she does. She could do something totally different, but just to not be the same. Right. Like I would checkpoints where they would have to drive past the current one and then go back. Like, well, that doesn't make sense because your 12 is before your 11. And I'm like, oh, is it? As they're, you know, plotting it. <laughs> like, well, if we're going down the road this way. The 12 is going to be before the 11. Okay. You know? Yeah, so? <laughs> and Or I would give them one where it's like a super far distance from a green or a blue to a black. And then make a green or a blue closer to the black on the opposite side to see who would try to get it just driving straight to it or who would try to drive straight past it and then backtrack, you know, like your error of your margin of error is shorter when you you're navigating from a closer distance, you know, right. Um, just to see who does what, because they're, you know, when I would do stuff like that, some of them would do it straight from the previous one and nail it. And other ones would go straight past and come back and also nail it. So, you know. Yeah. So then let's talk about the flat fender, flat fender run. Oh, the go devil run. Yeah, go devil run. There you go. Super, super fun. Um, I, and I know you had interviewed Ian because uh, you had asked me about, about what to ask Ian about. Yep. Uh, yeah. That's a, like I said, going all the way back to my parents' property up in the white mountains, that was like one of the first vehicles I drove was a flat fender. Um, my dad's had them ever since then. So I've always loved them. Uh, and right before Kaylee and I got married, I'd come across a couple of them for sale and we were actually getting ready to go up to the white mountains because her, her folks also have a place up there. Uh, we were going up there to, do some wedding planning stuff. Cause that's where we were getting going to get married. And one of her friends messaged her and said, Hey, um, you know, family friend has these Jeeps. Uh, they're going to put them for sale. Maybe Ryan knows someone that would be interested in buying them. And I saw him and I was like, uh, yeah, me, me, I'm interested in buying them. Uh, Cause it was the, one of them was the Jeep that we currently own. Uh, the flat fender 46 willies and it's a cj 2a and they had had it and it was just kind of a you know it 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 kind of wants to run but it doesn't run like you can get it to crank over and it kind of starts and then dies and it makes a bunch of noise and it smokes real bad uh but it's got a title okay and i went and i looked at it and I bought it and I loaded it on the trailer under its own power by, I poured some gas in the carburetor and got it running just long enough to scoot it up onto the trailer real quick. And I took it home and I had it running that next week. Uh, the problem was, is the fuel tank had condensated so much just by sitting for too many years. It, the, the fuel was old and it was like a third water. Yet cars don't like to run that way. Yeah, no. And those things actually have drains on the fuel tank. So I just unscrewed the drain, drained it, poured new fuel in it, and I've been driving it since. But, uh, you know, because we were going up, like I said, 
to do some wedding planning stuff. So we actually ended up deciding that we would drive that in our wedding. So it was our wedding vehicle. But uh, ever since then, it's just uh, we we love it and and we love we love taking it out and driving around it. It's super fun because it's not it's not anything that's you know that's new and fancy and you can dr- you drive down the highway for hours and it's you know old <laughs> and it's pretty just basic everything. Uh, but we actually, like I said, have have a blast doing it. The first Go Devil run that Ian did was. 2020 and Kaylee went with me you know the the two of us a little flat fender jeep with all of our gear for camping and that and you get and the UAs did everything um retro I mean clothing that you wore all that kind of stuff and in fact you guys did everything with black and white photos big black and white photos you make the rig like looks original like everyone's got a little bit of something done you know like different tire sizes are are probably the biggest thing um but you know, all of all of our jeeps are like no lifts uh you know no axle swaps no engine swaps they're all the original flathead four cylinder motors um you know no newer radial tires they're all the old you know, 600, 700, 15, 16 bias flies, uh, factory wheels, stuff like that, just to make it look like it's straight out of 1950. That's awesome. That's awesome. We, I hope to do it, that someday. Yeah, it is a blast. Um, we actually uh, just, you know, owning one and, and us, you know, before the first Go Devil Run anyway, uh, we had one and we'd be up at the, the cabin riding around in it and whatever. And knowing Bailey and Brian Crofts, uh, they were like, Oh yeah, those things seem kind of cool, whatever. Well, one weekend they, they were up North there too. And I said, swing on by and we'll go for a cruise through the forest. So, uh, Brian at that time had his JL. We had my dad's flat fender and my flat fender and a brand new JL. And we went out cruising through the forest and, you know, I, I kind of convinced him, um, Hey, you know, drive it. See if you like it, whatever. And he was like, nah, nah, nah. I finally got Bailey to ride with me. And Bailey's like, Oh, that was so much fun. Brian, you got to drive it. You got to drive it. And Brian, and he's like, Oh, that's so much fun. They left from our place and headed home. And Bailey was already texting me saying, Brian has me searching for flat fender Jeeps now. Cause he wants one. Sweet. <laughs> before Go devil run. He had bought one and then he bought his dad art one too and they both of them have come on every go devil run and it's just a a blast um you know obviously we've both brian has his own ultra four car but we've both been in ultra four cars and stuff you know 800 horsepower and doing 100 miles an hour across the desert but you get in these little flat fender jeeps and we're like this is the most fun you could have like this is just a blast right i i used to have a 53 M38A1, the old CJ5 military. Yep. And I had more fun driving that thing with the manual steering, 25, 27 axles. Um, yeah. You know, on on 31, well, I had 31 inch tires. Um, started with the, the. Those are illegal. <laughs> they are for the run, yes. But yeah. the. Uh, I had moved up to those because I had the Armstrong True Tracks on there that were like a 30 inch or something. 
they were like an 11.50.15 or something. And they had, they were so out of round that you couldn't drive it over 40 miles an hour because the thing would just try to shake itself to death. Yeah. That's so I, a, I threw so, some 31s on it. <laughs> now, the motor in that thing, Eric Falar would say that that is what he calls uh, overhead valvery, which is also illegal. <laughs> <laughs> well, mine had the Oddfire V6 Buick in oh. it. So it was really illegal. <laughs> yeah. And an SM465. So, yeah, but yeah. it was so much fun. Now, 40 miles an hour, most people say you can't go that fast in a stock flat fender because that's what the internet says. Well, we all know how accurate the internet can be. It's like yeah. uh, 65 degree steering. Yeah, yeah. You know, on a Toyota. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Not physically possible. <laughs> or mathematically. <laughs> the best way is you just flip you flip your protractor over. Uh, that way it's a higher number. There you go. <laughs> I always love those when somebody comes on and says something and uh, you come on as the fact checker and go, uh, yeah, no, not really. And then yeah. they want to argue. <laughs> Well, I, I posted, a, you know, yeah, it, so many people tag me the second someone claims they have all these degrees at steering. And I'm like, stop tagging me. But <laughs> I, easiest way to increase your steering angle is to claim you have more than you do on the Internet. <laughs> True <laughs> enough. Best way. <laughs> so let's uh, let's talk about the future. What is uh, what's in the future for? For the Millers? I'm not really sure, but um, so obviously you brought up the the wife doing the rebel rally, and we had daily a Jeep TJ uh, for the second rebel rally. And she won with that with Tara Lynn, and they did a couple more uh, in it. And we had done uh, Fury Road at Trail Hero. A couple times and we had won in the little DJ with that and we did Nevada trophy a couple times that was real fun um but then we we had a our baby 16 months ago and you know that changes things that the TJ really didn't it's really not a family vehicle you know right it's hard I mean it can be the problem is, is we also have a large dog too, and we love to take him places, but you can't fit a baby and a hundred pound dog and uh, all your gear and stuff in a TJ. It's a little, a little much to ask. Right. So right when, when we knew we were going to have the kid, we bought a new JL and that's what Kaylee had rallied uh, with Tara Lynn the last time she went and they won in that, but we sold the TJ to, uh, some friends out of Phoenix. And I think, you know, Mike and Ashley Bradley. Right. And, uh, we we were just so happy that someone bought it that was going to use it for how it was built. Because I mean, you, so you've seen that thing many times. It's, it's a sleeper. Uh, and it's not like a hardcore rock crawler or anything like that. It's just a, a Jeep that looks like a street Jeep, but it can cruise across the desert pretty good and also rock crawl some moderate trails pretty good. It was only on 33 inch tires, but 
Um, I wheeled it out at hammers a couple times with Harry, which was funny because he, he had that little tracker that Jesse Haynes built, you know, on 37s that pretty, pretty cool little rig that could, that could work real well. And, uh, some of the guys that were coming on the trail were all in, you know, 37 and 39 and 40 inch tire buggies and truggies. And they're looking at me like, uh, Harry is that guy really going to make it? And, and I'm like, Harry, uh, are you sure you're inviting me on the right run? Like, uh, these, these rigs are got a lot more tire than I got. And obviously don't give a crap about the body. Um, I don't want to dent because I had the hard top full hard doors on it, you know, cause it's out at the hammers. I was like, I, I don't want to be freezing driving around and I don't want to have to clean the inside of it when I get home. <laughs> but, and he's like, no, you're, you're going to be fine. And we drove up, I think it was Boulder dash and we get all the way to the top and we turned around and Harry's like, see, I told you, you weren't the one to worry about. He's like, they're all down there stuck. <laughs> um, uh, but there were some spots where. I was, you know, I had to work at it, Good little 33-inch tires. Um, that's not the easiest trail, but the thing worked really well. It had, you know, lockers front and back and chromoly axle shafts and it had ADF shocks. A couple times we'd go out to check out the race course on uh, other days of racing besides the 4400s and Shannon rode with me and he's like, this thing rides great. Like, <laughs> it's I was like, yeah, well, it's, it's built for comfort, you know? Yep. And but, you, you so, had that oversized, you put a oversized fuel tank I or system extra, in it, a, a spare fuel, tank. Yeah. I put an extra fuel tank in it because the, the TJ tank and you know, those 4.0s they're, they're pretty hardy, but they don't get the best fuel mileage for the rebel. Uh, the year, the year that they went, Kaylee and Tara had said we won but there was a couple checkpoints that we skipped because we thought we were going to run out of fuel. And I was like, mm, we can't have that. So I had put an extra fuel tank in the back with this whole deck that bolts into the floor and all your spares are strapped down and everything's fully, you know, held in place. So that way stuff doesn't fly around while you're scooting through the desert. Um, but it was five, five gallons, but it had to be a, a actual fuel cell and it had to be plumbed into the factory uh, fuel system. So that's all fully self-contained because the rally goes through a bunch of this, like they go through the BLM areas, including Johnson Valley. So they have to follow the same rules that like Dave has to for King of the hammers, which is, uh, you know, for fueling at King of the Hammers, obviously there's fueling going on, but it has to be in a designated pit location with a tarp and they have BLM people out there watching and yada, yada. Well, Emily can't have that on the rally because like, what are you going to do? Set up a designated fueling area for people to fill up out of jerry cans or something. Right. Right. Um, and so, you know, she just says, however much fuel you have is how much fuel you have. And I was like, mm, we can't have that. So I, I did all that to, to give it more range, which, you know, it helped in, it actually helped in the Nevada trophy event we did too. Um, just, you know, so that way you didn't have to worry about running out. Uh, cause you can make it as far as anyone else could then too. Right. Um, before the TJ going for every checkpoint would be, you know, you're probably the, the most handicapped on fuel at that point. Right. But we ended up, you know, like I said, selling that and we're, we're glad that, uh, it went to someone who's going to 
going to use it. I know that they've actually taken it out on some trails out in Florence and just out exploring in the desert and, and they love it. And, and you know, cause we're like, you know, who's going to so much time and work went into this thing to, you know, I tweaked every little thing that I could on it to make it the best it could possibly be. Uh, cause we built it, we stripped it all the way down to the frame and started there. I cut every bracket off of the frame and rewelded all new brackets that are stronger and skid plated everything and flat bellied it, did everything I could to make it perform as best as possible. So, and you did a good job. I mean, there was, there's no doubt yeah. about it. When you drove off high dive that one time when you were with us out at Moab, I was like, all right, I'm impressed. There was, yeah, because there's no every, way I'm driving off that thing in anything. Yeah, you were <laughs> like, uh, you're going to drive off of high dive and what looks to be a stock TJ. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> I was like, yeah, this isn't a problem. Uh, but uh, now we have our JL. Um, I didn't, you know, obviously didn't go as crazy as I did on the TJ, but kind of built it the same as the the TJ. It's got a, a deck that bolts into the back with all of our gear that stays strapped down with a place that you can put the ice chest and it's got all the spare parts and the tools and fluids and uh it's you know skid plated and ads shocks and a winch and all that fancy stuff so we just take that out and you know it's a little different with the with the kid um we've actually taken him out on some trails many times and uh just have fun with it with the whole family you know uh we're actually looking into possibly going down. There's a event that we saw in Baja, Mexico. That's like kind of a, a navigation type rally that goes all the way down to Cabo and, and all the way back. Wow. Both. Um, so um, we've been talking to some people about possibly going and doing that uh, just cause it'd be super fun. And, Kaylee's never been to Baja. I've been down there to race the thousand with the Campbells a couple times. And it's just, I, I love Baja. I don't know. <laughs> it, it is. It, awesome it's the last of the wild west. Yeah. And then, um, uh, besides that, we got a, we recently got a cab over camper for the truck and we want to take that out and go to some, you know, go camping in some locations for a week or go to a national park or a road trip and just take uh, RJ, our, our son, with us and, and go have a good time. Excellent. Excellent. So let's, last thing, let's talk about your uh, your snake bite. You got bit by a rattlesnake <laughs> here recently. You're the only, the second person that I know um, that's gotten bitten. And it's uh, it's not a pleasant experience. No, it hurts like real bad. I'm actually, um, this is the ninth day, ninth day since I've been bit. And, uh, it was, it was, uh, Monday of last week. I was, I just got home from work and I went into the backyard to pick up, there was some brush, um, that we had accumulated while working in the backyard previously. And, I went to clean it up so that way when I left the following day to go to Ultra Four Nationals, that the uh, Kaylee could take the dog out uh, without having to worry about snakes being underneath there and whatever, right? Well, go figure. I, I started picking up the brush and I made it through uh, one pile 
and I started on the second pile and I, and it is pretty good piles, like large Palo Verde limbs. And I made it all the way down to two limbs left in the pile. And I picked up the second to last limb and I started to turn to, to go take it over to load on the trailer. And I, I just felt a, a, like a, a sharp, like poke in my leg. And I was like, what? And I turned around and I looked and there's a freaking rattlesnake. And then it turned and took off into my wood pile. And I was like, dang it. <laughs> so I, I, I quick just, you know, dropped the branch and I went inside and I said, Hey, cause my wife works at home. And I said, uh, I just got bit by a rattlesnake and she's like, go get in the car. And so we drove down to the hospital and I was in the hospital for three or four days and got, uh, three doses of anti-venom and got out of the hospital. I couldn't put any weight on it until yesterday, but it, the bite itself didn't hurt. <laughs> Everything after that, I was, it, it hurt a lot. Um, that first night in the hospital, I didn't sleep. It just, I could not get comfortable. They had me on, uh, morphine and Vicodin. And I was getting the anti-venom shot too. And it just, that didn't matter. It just hurt so bad. I could not get comfortable to actually sleep. Right. Cause that, that venom attacks the muscle. Yeah. And I was, I was very bummed cause I was missing out on ultra four nationals then. And I, I did, I didn't want to let Bailey down. Um, so <laughs> that did, that didn't work out very well for me. No, but, uh, I know that she was looking forward to the last race of the year and that it was going to be lots of rocks. Cause both of us, uh, love those types of courses more than, uh, like short course, but Brian, uh, Brian jumped in with her and, and she did good. So I was very happy with that, but I was still bummed in general that I wasn't even, I wanted to try to get out of the hospital and at least be there, you know, to support her and but that wasn't going to happen. <laughs> no, I, uh, I got out of the hospital Thursday evening. And like I said, I couldn't, I couldn't even walk till yesterday. Like yesterday was the first time I could put my foot down on the ground. I still can't really walk. I can like hobble around. Wow. But I don't, <laughs> I don't recommend it. It sucks. Yeah, so you're going to be a lot more careful now when you're moving brush piles? I mean, yeah, I'm always pretty careful, but I just, I couldn't, I couldn't really see him at all. He was curled up under, it was Monday, it was pretty cool. It was like one of the, one of the last days where it was like warm in the middle of the day. And then that was it. So that's when they're, they're on their last moves before they go into hibernation is when it's just barely warm in the middle of the day. Right. And yeah, it just, I, these Palo Verde branches were huge. So, um, I'm pretty sure I like stepped forward closer to where it was at after I picked up that second branch. Cause it was so heavy. And I, I know, you know, about the desert, everything pokes you. So the, those Palo Verdes have a million little sharp ends on them. And, when they're grown out, they're, they're hard to see through. It's not like you can just see through it, even though there's not really any leaves on them. Right. So 
Yep, he was underneath there and snuck out and bit me in the ankle. It's one of the things I've always been careful about, especially with anything that we've done in the in the South Central or Southwest is is rattlesnakes. Uh, a couple of years ago, I was setting up early in the morning. It was about six fifteen, six o'clock in the morning, and at Mason um, at K two, and there was a spot that I'd already decided I was going to put a cone, you know, a bonus cone at. And so I climbed up on the rock, reached the cone up there, and then needed to to position it just right and measure it. And so I set the cone up, and then I got up all the way up there. And I'd put my hand about, oh, six, eight inches away from a snake that was trying to warm itself. And luckily, it was still early in the morning. And yeah. I backed off and went, oh, shit. And uh, ran to get my pistol because I carry a, a three fifty seven with snake shot in it. Um, but I didn't have it on me. It was in the Jeep. By the time I came back, the snake probably realized, "Uh oh, (laughs) and he took off. But, uh, it was, uh, it was the closest call for me, but luckily it was early in the morning and that's the snake wasn't, wasn't very active at that point because it was still cold. Yeah. Yeah. When it's cold, they're a little slow. Yes. Um, but you got to be careful. That's, yeah. you know, the, the, all the events that we've done at Congress and Baghdad and, and Tucson, it doesn't matter how clean an area seems to be. Um, oh, yeah. You know, they'll find a spot. They'll find a oh, spot. Yeah. yeah, our backyard's pretty, when we moved in, it's an acre and it's desert. So there was a lot of just overgrown cactus and stuff like that. And I spent about two months cleaning the whole yard. Um where you can walk out the back door and yeah, there's trees and I left cactus and stuff everywhere, but it's just real clean on the ground where you can see the whole ground across the whole yard. Right. But that's, I mean, it doesn't mean that they're not there. I've still seen them over the years, but um, it makes it easier to see them. (laughs) Correct. And that's the whole idea. Yep. Yep. Well, Ryan, thank you so much for coming on board and and sharing your life and and stories with us. Um, I really appreciate it. I've appreciated your friendship over the years. You've been one of those guys. It's just a solid dude, and you know you you're you're unflappable. I mean, everybody jokes with you, and you always have a smile on your face. I've never seen you get upset. I, I'm sure there's been a time that you have, but I've never seen it, and. Uh, <laughs> You know, you always got that little chuckle like you just did. And, yeah. you know, it's, you're just one of those guys. It's, it's fun to be around. So, uh, thank you. Yep. Thank you, Rich. And, uh, say hello to Kaylee for me and I will, uh, we'll catch up here soon. Yeah. We'll see you. I'm sure. Okay. You take care. All right. Thank you. Bye-bye. Well, that's another episode of Conversations with Big Rich. I'd like to thank you all for listening. If you could do us a favor and uh, leave us a review on any podcast service that you happen to be listening on, or send us an email or a text message or a Facebook message, and let me know uh, any ideas that you have, or if there's anybody that you have that you think would be a great guest, please forward the contact information to me so that we can uh, try to get them on. And always remember, live life to the fullest. Enjoying life is a must. Follow your dreams and live life with all the gusto you can. Thank you.